It seems right now we are more divided than ever. Or perhaps this last year has merely exposed the chasms that already existed. Most of the time, it seems easier to avoid the hot topics altogether in order to keep the peace. After all, aren't we supposed to be the people of peace? But what about those deeply held values and beliefs? Aren't those worth standing up for? Drawing lines in the sand over? Going to battle in defense of? We'll dive right into some of these hot topics. Political divide, racial justice, fake news, conspiracies. Oh, we're going there. We all know kids say the most ridiculous things. Whether they're making pointed observations or are curious about the world around them, they, they always manage to come up with questions that stump adults. One organization asked parents, what were some of the funniest questions their kids asked about God? Here are a few of my favorite. Why did God make mosquitoes? All they do is bite you. Why would he do that? <laughs> Great question. I'm wondering the same thing. Here's another question. How did Jesus rise from the grave? Did he punch out his grave and say, this isn't the last of Jesus? Sounds dramatic. I, I like this follow-up question. Is Jesus a zombie? Um, here are a couple of more. If God saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone, how come he never made himself a wife? Huh, good one. And then if Jesus doesn't have a sister, why do I have to have one? While these questions are funny, sometimes kids ask more serious questions, honest questions that we don't always have good answers to. Like, were there dinosaurs on the ark? Or how did Jesus walk on water? Or why do we go to church if God is everywhere? One of the things I love about our church is the commitment to a thoughtful faith that celebrates the life of the mind. Menlo is a place where we can humbly agree to disagree where questions are just as important as answers, and we lean in with love as we listen and learn from one another. We're not afraid to wrestle with new ideas, and we respect the views and perspectives that people bring into any conversation we have. Today, we're wrapping up a series called, Oh, We're Going There. And this is about the elephants in the room, elephants like politics and race and fake news. And today, we're going to look at another. These kinds of topics make many of us uncomfortable, and frankly, it'd probably be easier to not go there. We know they create tension because we know there are many differing views and opinions. When our views about important issues begin to clash with the views of others, they can easily become the elephant in the room, the things that we'd rather not talk about because it's just easier to avoid. For instance, I know of families who have ground rules that say, you're not allowed to talk about politics at the dinner table. Uh, maybe this is something your family does, and, and you're at a complete loss because you can no longer understand your parents' views on politics and how sharply their views have shifted. Or maybe you feel this way about your kids, how their moral values and convictions are no longer aligned with yours. The way they think and the decisions they make completely baffle you. Uh, maybe you have an old friend someone you went to school with or grew up with, someone you used to think you were aligned on practically every issue, but now they're promoting ideas on social media that you find downright shocking. This happens in organizations too. Institutions break apart and split over mutual suspicion and misunderstandings. 
the rift between each side becomes insurmountable and it becomes impossible to have a productive conversation. Many of us are left thinking, these were my friends. These were my people. This is my family. And I used to think I knew who they were, but now I don't even know who I am. Have they changed or have I changed? And you try to find some way to understand and reconcile their views with who you thought they were. They're people you once locked arms with, but now you find that your differences have become massive divides. And now you're like continents that have drifted apart by differing views as wide as the ocean. So what do you do when you feel like you're losing common ground with people you love? Or or what do you do with the humbling truth that they may have the same fears and concerns about you? That's why we decided to do this series. Uh, This is not a lecture series to argue a point or uh, make a statement. This is a sermon series that's supposed to point us to Jesus. Uh, Whether you lean lean right or left, whether you're a believer or a skeptic, these talks are about naming the elephants in the room and and heeding Jesus' call to love your neighbor, your parent, your child, your friend, and even your enemy as yourself. Imagine what it would look like if we were a community that was slow to speak and quick to listen. So the elephant in the room today is the conflict between science and faith. But before we jump into that, I wanna tell you a story about a conversation that took place between God and a scientist. Uh, One day, God was sitting in heaven when a scientist said to him, Lord, we don't need you anymore. Science has finally figured out a way to create life out of nothing. In other words, we can now do what you did in the beginning. God said, oh, really? Okay, tell me, how would you do that? The scientist says, well, we can take some dirt and form it into your likeness and breathe life into it and thus create man. God says, well, that's interesting. Can you show me? The scientist says, sure. So he bends down to pick up some dirt. And God says, well, no, no, no. You have to use your own dirt. Okay, let's start by looking at Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. In verse 1, David says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. David is in complete, total awe of creation. He's in absolute wonderment. He looks as far and wide as his eyes can see, and he's struck with the majesty of God's glorious creation. I mean, Imagine how David would have written this psalm today if he had a Hubble telescope and he could see as far as a billion light years away. He watches the sun rise and the sun set and he beautifully describes the beginning and end of each day 
as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a, like a champion re- rejoicing to run his course. Clearly, David had a gift with words. The best I can come up with when I see a beautiful sunset is going, going, gone. Uh, but then David continues in verse seven. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. David says the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. He says the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. You see, to David, the scriptures are perfect and complete and explain everything he needs to know. He says they refresh his soul. They bring joy to his heart. They give light to his eyes. They're more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. David loves God's word. And then a few verses later, David says, but who can discern their own errors? You see, before God, David is in awe of creation and the truth of scripture. And his worshipful response is humility but he admits that his knowledge has limits and his understanding is incomplete. And he ends the psalm with a humble prayer saying, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. What a simple and profound prayer that David expresses as he surrenders before God's majesty. You see, God reveals himself to David in both the created natural world, the heavens and the skies, and God reveals himself to David in the written word, which David refers to as the law of the Lord. But what do we do when the study of the natural world and the results of modern day science seem to disagree with our reading and understanding of the scriptures? What happens when new scientific research meets traditional Christian doctrine? For instance, how does the Big Bang Theory fit within Genesis 1? Or what does quantum mechanics have to do with predestination and the omniscience of God? Or how does the anthropic principle square with a biblical notion of a designed and purposeful universe? How should we think about the relationship between faith and science? For many of us, this is the elephant in the room. Because currently, we live in a world that seems to underestimate the role of faith and overestimate the work of science. We, we tend to hear people treat faith in a pejorative sense in contrast to science and reason. I've heard people call faith a crutch that people use to deal with the harsh realities of life because they have no reasonable explanations. Over the years, I've talked to people in medicine and science and technology who were wary of Orthodox Christian beliefs. Some of them have told me that their education and training makes it difficult to accept the claims of Christianity. They say, since the Bible denies evolution, which most educated people now accept, they don't see how any Christian can be credible with such an unscientific mindset. I've also talked to Christians who've shared areas in their lives where their faith conflicts with challenges they're confronted with every day. 
I talked with somebody who worked in a research lab and he told me that he could never tell his colleagues that he went to church for fear that it would cost him his credibility as a scientist. Add to these concerns, books from best-selling authors like Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, and Christopher Hitchens, who argue that science in general, and evolutionary science in particular, have made belief in God completely obsolete. They argue that you cannot be an intellectual person and still hold religious beliefs. Hitchens writes that religious faith wholly misrepresents the origins of man and the cosmos, and that it is ultimately grounded on wish-thinking. Chris Hitchens is emphatic that the more rational and thoughtful you are, the less you will be able to believe in God or any religion. He refers to religion and belief in God who created the universe as wishful thinking. Or, as Mark Twain put it, faith is believing in what you know ain't true. From Galileo to school classrooms to battles portrayed in the media and in courtrooms around the world, the perception is that science and Christianity are engaged in an endless debate, an all-out war, fundamentally opposed to each other. You can either be scientific and rational or religious, but you can't be both. You don't have to look very far to find negative perceptions of people who adhere to religion or faith. And, and, And this level of animosity can lead anyone down the direction of doubt if we let it. Now, I want to say, if that's you, you're not alone. Doubt is an unavoidable part of belief. In fact, when we wrestle honestly with our doubts, they can actually lead us to and strengthen our faith in God. Philosopher Paul Tillich said, doubt isn't the opposite of faith. It is an element of faith. And then there are some of us who try to avoid the controversy altogether by keeping science and faith completely separate. After all, isn't faith private and subjective and not really meant to speak to the empirical world? Isn't religion about God and moral values and the afterlife? Isn't science a system of knowledge about the natural world and its behavior? Science answers the what and the how questions, but it can't answer the why question. But I think if we were to do that and and separate science and religion completely, I think we'd be selling ourselves short of all that we can learn about the world around us and the God who created it. Science is not the only source of information, and religion reaches far beyond the realm of values and morals. In fact, most of the founders of the subdisciplines of the sciences were Christians, whose faith not only inspired but also informed their scientific discoveries. People like Louis Pasteur in bacteriology, or Robert Boyle in chemistry, or Carl Linnaeus in taxonomy, or Kepler in astronomy, or Newton in physics, the list goes on. All of these scientists found themselves reading and reflecting on the two books of God, the book of nature and the book of scripture, God's work in creation and God's words spoken, written, and revealed. Copernicus and Galileo, they were devout Christians too. And Galileo said that the glory and greatness of Almighty God are marvelously discerned in all his works and divinely read in the open book of heaven. Even today, Francis Collins, head of the Human Genome Project and director of the National Institute of Health, urges believers to not turn their backs on science. He writes, the God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. He can be worshipped in the cathedral or 
in the laboratory. Later this week, we'll share on YouTube, um, on our YouTube channel, an interview I did with two scientists who are also committed followers of Jesus. One who specializes in machine learning and artificial intelligence, and another who specializes in immuno-oncology and cell biology. But what I continue to learn is this, that there's an overarching message that emerges from the scientific and theological landscape. And the message is that of humility. In Psalm 19, David humbly says, who can discern their own errors? David was aware of the limits of his knowledge and the more he studied uh, who God was and the more he discovered the far reaches of the world he lived in, the more he realized he didn't know everything. Even atheists admit they don't have all the answers. Neil deGrasse Tyson, an astrophysicist and outspoken skeptic, admits that the challenges of knowing enough about the subject to think you're right, but not knowing enough about the subject to know that you're wrong. In another one of David's Psalms, Psalm 8, he writes, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You can hear David's humility as he considers the vastness of God's creation. What is man? The message of humility implied by scientific discovery is deeply consistent with the message of scripture. I mean, who isn't humbled in the presence of an infinite God and in the vastness of the universe? The frontiers of science can also be the frontiers of faith. And boy, do we live in an exciting time to ponder God's incredible universe with knowledge in light of a biblical Christian worldview. Now, speaking of one of the more recent elephants in the room, few topics currently seem to elicit stronger emotions or more diverse opinions than whether or not to vaccinate against COVID-19. There are questions and concerns like, how can we really know the vaccine is safe? Or how does scientists create these vaccines so fast? Or what about the ethical concerns and how they were made? I've even heard some people think there are microchips being injected into people's bodies. Now, while I'm not going to address those questions here, my hope is that we would all make a wise decision that's both true to our shared faith and based on good, accurate science. Personally, I decided to get vaccinated because I believe it is safe and ethical and wise. Now, I know I'm not a doctor and I'm not qualified to answer questions about vaccine safety, but you can talk to your primary care physician about that anytime. But, but one thing this pandemic has shown all of us is this. We take our health pretty seriously and we get easily upset when others don't take it as seriously as we do. It's so easy to become mean and judgmental to someone who chooses differently from you or from us, but we're still called to love one another even those who don't hold the same positions we do. And that's the whole point of this message series. Paul exhorts the church in Philippians 2 to have the same mindset as Jesus and in humility to value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Perhaps in a posture of humility, we can begin to build bridges across our understanding of politics and race conspiracy theories, science, and faith. 
Perhaps we can nurture a balanced view of the world and what we read in scripture with a generous orthodoxy and respectful dialogue. Perhaps we can restore a culture of humility, recognizing the limits of our knowledge, including our interpretations of scripture, confessing that we don't have all the answers. And then may we rediscover a richer and more robust community in Christ with a shared understanding of the world God created and what it means to follow Christ in it. The life and the work of theologians and scientists throughout the centuries give us proof that it is possible to be an intellectual devoted to both science and Christian faith and that no contradiction exists between both when truth is genuinely sought. I'll close with another quote from Francis Collins. He says, His creation, God's creation is majestic, awesome, intricate, and beautiful. And it cannot be at war with itself. Only we imperfect humans can start such battles. And only we can end them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. And we worship you for the beauty of all of creation. But we also worship you because you've revealed yourself to us. Heavenly Father, we also admit that we're limited in our knowledge and in our understanding. And sometimes that leads to fear. Sometimes that leads to worry. Other times that leads to discord, even within our own community. Heavenly Father, would we be reminded that as we worship you, you are the source of all truth and all knowledge and you can be trusted. And may we walk together as a community of faith, hope, and love, believing God that you will lead the way in all of the things that we discover, in all of the things that we learn, in all of the things that we see in you and through you. Be with us this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.